dazzling, glittering gingas, bashonens, stages, emblems, fan service. This anime's got it all. And this is the awesome cast. Hi folks and welcome back to the Awesome Cast. I'm your host Basil and with me as pretty much always my wonderful co-hosts Doug Kevin. And that's us. Once more, we're back in our seats in front of a microphone, talking to you about things that we think are awesome. Yes. Isn't that right, Kevin? Yes. We also just recently came back from AWA and had a wonderful time. Isn't that right, Kevin. Oh, I certainly hope we did. <laughs> Aren't you guys going to AWA next weekend? Yes, but this episode releases yes. the Monday well, right yes. after AWA. Don't oh. ruin the magic. We're recording <laughs> in the past to deliver it in the future. So we're on time. So so we're kind of time traveling. Yeah, kind of. Awesome. I like time travel. Except when you do it badly. Yes. Mm. That Then it's bad. Very bad. And we don't like bad time traveling or world traveling, Chrono Cross. Don't don't be mean to Chrono Cross. Oh, I will I will forever be mean Chrono to Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross tried. It, Chrono Cross had a good soundtrack. Chrono Cross is a good cop. You leave him alone. Chrono Cross would have been great if they hadn't made it part of the Chrono Trigger series and she wore <laughs> that in at the last second. Yeah, to be fair, that's probably 100% true. Well... But they did. They did, didn't they? They did. Still has an incredible soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Well, that I, it does. I super really like the character Glenn. Like, I in fact walked around after that game for a long time wondering why Glenn wasn't in other games. I think it was because I was secretly disappointed that Glenn, this awesome, fantastic character that I loved playing in this role-playing game, was in such a bad storyline. I just <laughs> wanted to see what he would be like in a good storyline. And I think I got that with Tales of Vesperia. That could be very possible. But we're talking about none of these things today. No, no. (laughs) Anyways. Yes. But yes, theoretically, we just got back from Eddie Boy, had a wonderful time, and I'm sure our next episode will tell you all about it. However, this time, we'll be talking about Star Driver, an anime by Bones. Yes. (laughs) But first... A brand new segment that's very similar to my Dragon Basil's Dragon Quest Minute. We're not getting any Dragon Quests. Square Enix has abandoned us. Nintendo has abandoned us. You're all bastards. I just wanted to play 7. The remake of my 3DS was at too much to ask. Yes. Yeah, apparently. And that was Basil's Dragon Quest Minute. This time, it is our moment of chainsaws. It's a moment of chainsaws. 
Okay, so I was watching I was watching the TV the other day, mm-hmm. and they aired this commercial where a guy walked in. He pointed to this wood carving of a chainsaw. He said, "Is that a chainsaw carving of a chainsaw?" And I looked at this chainsaw carving of a chainsaw, and of course, according to the show, yes, it was. However, it was so detailed and so refined, it even had, like, the name of the brand that made it carved out on it. And I was sitting there going, there is no way that a single chainsaw could have carved that out. But then I looked it up, and it turns out there is actually an attachment that you can put onto your Dremel to make it into basically, like, a little mini handheld chainsaw. So they make handheld chainsaws, which you can do fine carving with. All right. I'm not sure if that was the intent. I don't even. I'm not sure if that's the intention of the segment, but <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's why Duck wanted to lead with it. Yes. Although I'm not sure I understand the intention of this segment. Well, the intention is is that right now we're sort of doing this weird um, flip flopping of talking about each other's podcasts, sort of really inadvertently. There are podcast bros. You know, because our last episode, we talked about who we would be in the Chainsaw Buffet Pantheon. Oh, yes, yes. Where I would be, you know, John, you know, Doug was Charlie and you were Dylan. Although, I apologize, Dylan, you're not always depressed. It just seems that way because everyone picks on you. But that's okay, because you still are the hate of my heart. That's still actually a fitting, like, place to put Kevin. It is, it is. I'm not depressed all the time. But we do still pick on you, so sometimes it may seem that way. <laughs> yeah. And certainly I have my moments where I seem depressed. Sometimes when I'm, in fact, not at all. But that you know, they think, you know, Dylan's a paranoid shut-in. We just think you're a, you know, elevator sexual shut-in. I mean, hey, you know. I am totally a paranoid shut-in. You've got to hide that love for elevators. It's very scandalous. It, it is. Love in an elevator, love of elevators, what's the difference? <laughs> but you know since they talked about us we talked about them and then they mentioned us or specifically me as they're now you know now that we have you know set you know our flag in the sand or on the moon or wherever we put it that we're going to keep updating consistently on mon- every other Monday on time on some point that Monday until we don't. Until we don't. But now we even have a thing on the website that lists how many podcasts we have in a row. This will be number two, hopefully. Yeah, I told you that, Counter. <laughs> yeah, you did, and I made it. That's right. I made it. But now the Chainsaw guys, they're planning to release every week. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, except when they don't. But they, they don't have a Counter. I think there's, there's, you know, they're, instead of planning for every week and doing it every other, like, few weeks... Their goal is to do it every week, and then eventually just do it every other week again. Mm. But furthermore, they're now ending their segments with what they call recommendations, mm. which are pretty much moments of awesome. I see. <laughs> and then one of them mentioned, was it Chad? I forget who mentioned it that they should do it based off sort of like a menu option, which I totally agree. And this is how it should work. They should start off their their podcast with their hors d'oeuvres. You know, like their openings, their opening segments, their introductions, you know. And then they can do their main course, their main buffet, where they actually talk about their things. 
And then finally, for their recommendations or, you know, Kobe beef moments of awesome, they should call them just desserts. <laughs> That's cute. And that should be their format, which is already the format, but now they have nice little names for it. You're welcome. Of course, this release, a week after whatever next podcast they're releasing, which who knows what they mentioned about us or me in that one, but whatever. So who are these people? They're the Chance Buffet podcast. In their last episode, as of this recording, in the recommendations, Charlie decided to recommend me. Yeah. So thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it. More people should recommend me. Please consult your doctor before using basil. You might have after effects of awesome. <laughs> Make sure your heart is healthy enough for awesome before listening to basil. Or before meeting basil, talking basil. You might want to keep basil out of the reach of... Five guys. Damn <laughs> yeah. you, Gerald. Damn you. I yeah, still can't of, eat out that. Of, out of five guys. Uh, you know. And that was your moment of chainsaws. Yay! What? Not like a new moment of awesome twice. <laughs> well, this is a different kind of segment, Kevin. <laughs> oh, Finish it. Finish it. Fine, fine. It's a moment of chainsaw. So, we're the Awesome Cast, the podcast for everything awesome. Where can you find us? Awesomecast.com. O-S-M-C-A-S-T.com. You can send us an email at awesomecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook slash awesomecast. You can now find us on Twitter at at awesomecast. Or you can find me on AwesomeCast on Twitter. Well, you can find me on the AwesomeCast, but you can find me on Twitter at It's Basil Time. You can find Kevin on Twitter at I'm a lame ass who doesn't have Twitter. Yeah, Kevin. What? I don't, I don't need your Twitters. Besides, if I get a Twitter, it's going to be Twitterless Kevin. <laughs> Which is ironically a terrible Twitter name because it's so long. <laughs> And that counts towards your 140 characters, so that would have been a really bad idea. Yep. But, yeah, leave us comments on all the shows. Send us emails. If you send us emails, we'll probably read it on the air. Actually, we will read it on the air. So why don't you send us emails? We, we miss those. Well, we could probably put a thing in there that says if you don't want this email written... Re- Read on the air, we will yeah. not read it. So. Yeah, if you specifically ask for us not to read your email on the air, we won't. But if you send Unless us an you're email, a super jerk. Yeah. Then we <laughs> might. Then we might. But odds are, if you don't say that and you send us an email, we will probably talk about it. <laughs> well, we'll at least address the issue. Yeah, that's right. Of course, if you have any complaints, send them to podcast at chainsabuffet.com. Yes. So. Now that everything has been put into orders, we shall now have our moment of awesome. It's a moment of awesome. Um, well, actually in preparation for this show, after I marathoned the whole series, um, I then explicitly started watching uh, Transformers Prime on Netflix. I think I'll go with that. Transformers Prime. And you know that they can hear you when you tap the table, Kevin. Oh, yeah. I won't tap the table. Well, totally actually. can. I don't know why I did that. I've been doing a lot of weird hand gestures tonight. I don't know why I'm doing them. Don't worry. We're an audio medium. I we know. can't tell. No one can see. So what's this about? Transformers Prime. Yes. Transformers Prime. 
Uh, with the most recent animated Transformers series, it just concluded fairly recently. It's still got like a direct-to-video movie coming out in October, but it's uh, uh, it's probably the most maturely written Transformers series I've ever seen. I think it still was ostensibly aimed at kids, but honestly, if either A, the characters weren't robots, or B, they were in live action, this would be like TV-14 or, you know, TV-MA if both were true. <laughs> um, there's uh, some pretty serious business in this show. Uh, this is actually a show where even the Decepticons get strong characterization. <laughs> pretty cool. Um, but it's kind of, they have a little bit of the movie Transformer, like the live action Transformers aesthetics, but they blend them off. They blend enough of kind of your classic Transformers aesthetics to offset the stupid parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's also, most importantly, has both Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime and Frank Welker as Megatron in the first time since the original series. They're both acting up, across from each other. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of, you know, you got your little group of Autobots. Uh, the Decepticons are somewhat bigger and scarier group who have a little bit more of an advantage. But the Autobots have human friends who are not useless or annoying. At least in my opinion. Uh, in fact, they're actually general, especially near in the last episode, they were really useful <laughs> and just entirely based on, you know, things we already knew they could do. <laughs> now, is this, because I wasn't really paying attention when you first started, I apologize, but <laughs> is this traditionally animated? Is it CG? Oh, okay. Yeah, it is CG animated. Um, it's a CG show. Um, not the best, well... The CG gets pretty good. Um, the first several episodes, I think they were trying to work out how their animation works, unfortunately. Do you but, know what studio did this? No, I don't. Like I said, uh, eh, it was just something I just kind of marathoned over the last couple of days. Okay. I haven't really gone too in-depth, although I really liked it. Like, I want to go, hey, this was a good show. Um, it's giant robots fighting, which is always nice. And it's actually a Transformers show that was pretty good and made me go, oh, yeah, I used to kind of like Transformers. <laughs> you know, I used to like Transformers. Somewhere, and somewhere between the original animated Transformers, the movie, and Michael Bay Transformers, I forgot that for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that could happen. Yeah, I definitely could see that too. But it's kind of, if you used to like Transformers, it's kind of a warm, happy breath of fresh air. Back to, oh yeah, this is what I liked about Transformers. And this one's actually pretty well acted. <laughs> uh... Genuinely likable characters and fairly good. Once it gets hits its stride with the animation, the action is actually really good. Uh, and they eventually learn how to draw backgrounds that could actually exist on Earth <laughs> on their computers. <laughs> For a little while, they have some trouble. <laughs> Do you have one, Doug, or shall I go? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I've, I've got a couple. Um, the Dremel is a really awesome tool. <laughs> And I know this is probably going to sound like I, we're getting like a check from Dremel. We're not. It would be great if we did, but we're not. Uh, Send but, checks to uh, AwesomeCast. At... Yeah, but I've I've really been using my Dremel not just lately. I don't know when the last time I talked about my Dremel was, but like not just lately, but I've really been using it a good bit. And it's just the most insanely useful little like power tool for just all kinds of little like around the house projects, both like fix-it projects, crafting projects, do-it-yourself projects. It's not so good when you're trying to get into the heavy-duty stuff, like that's when I have to get out like the actual saws in the garage, but you know, for for most of the things where like 
uh, it's just a handheld, like, I actually have a cabinet over there that I salvaged most of it from uh, Goodwill, but it didn't have any handles, so I had to, those handles that it has on now, like, I made those. Uh, I had to get, like, pieces of wood and, and sheets of tin foil, and it was actually mostly, the tool I used more than any other tool was the Dremel to get it shaped, cut down, just sanded, just right. Uh, and I also, today, was using the Dremel because I finally found uh, something that was the correct shape to, I actually found the correct container to store my matcha in. It just was not finished, and I had to do all the finishing, and in putting on the traditional finishes, the uh, bamboo started to split, so I actually had to use a wire to put it around there, but in order to put a wire in, I had to cut a groove into it, which required the Dremel. <laughs> so, if you're like me and you're into all kinds of insane little, I've got to get it done as best as I can, the Dremel is a wonderful, wonderful time saver, and also helps you do it correctly. That's right, the Dremel. For when you want to save time and do it correctly. That's right. That's right. My other moment of awesome, I suppose, would be... Isn't tea wonderful? I think you're double dipping at this point. I'm, I'm pretty sure you've done tea already. <laughs> I know, I know I have done tea, but I think that I should do tea again. Uh, just to reiterate that tea is probably the most wonderful drink... In all of Dugland. Tea is pretty great. Yeah. Okay, now we can move along. (laughs) Well, mine is going to be a manga. Manga. Perfect for an audio media. Yes. (laughs) Just like, well, you know. Hey, this was done, you know, this was, in this one particular, brought up by Vertical who's one of the main, one of their marketing guys, or editor guys, is Ed Chavez, who did one of the very first manga-based podcasts. Now, so. I noticed that it looks like the author is Satoshi Kon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Tropic of the Sea uh, by Satoshi Kon. Um, this is his actual, his very first serialized manga. It was actually re- released in Japan in 1990. And it is about uh, a young boy whose family lives on this sort of secluded island, which I thought was sort of a, kind of a, correlates to what we'll be talking about later on tonight. Yeah. Where the whole idea is that his family, they're in charge of a shrine, they're the priests of this shrine, and they're protecting a mermaid egg. That sounds fantastic and like a bunch of stuff I like. (laughs) And the whole thing is that there is now this sort of industrial group coming in they want to turn this, you know, sleepy, you know, town, island town into like a tourist destination. Mm. And so now they're buying up all the properties and some of the residents are not too happy about this whole idea because they might harm the mermaid egg and the mermaids. The contract between the town and the mermaids is what brings the, the you know, the nice waters. And there's this whole like, you know, sort of quiet town versus, you know, future industry coming in, you know, all the young kids are moving out and they're not coming back, and will this town stay relevant? Should they stay relevant? And what is, you know, our young boy hero, you know, uh, Yosuke Yashiro, like, how does he feel about, you know, being, you know, the possible future, you know, head priest of their shrine? Is that something that he wants? Is that something that he believes in? 
is this, you know, all this mermaid talk to silly fairy tales. There, There's a whole lot of, you know, things that you might have seen before in other pieces of medium. And it's, it's not like, you know, the, it's a well-told, it's a well-known story, yeah. but it's also a well-told story. And it really, you can really start really seeing in a lot of the artwork, you know, where he's starting to really get his cinematic chops, where, you know, he's, before he really starts doing all the, uh, I believe this is pre- you know, him directing a lot of anime and stuff. I think this is one of his first, you know, professional works. Was him being this mangaka. And it's it's a really good story. It's all told in one volume. It's really enjoyable. Um, there's some awesome um, afterwards, both um, written by Satoshi Kon, that he did in the various bits when it was first released as a uh, Takaban. And it's, you know, the translation good. The pages are good. The art's good. <laughs> translation good. Well, it's a, well, I feel that's important, you know, especially with what we're about to talk about. Well, no, no, I was more pointing out the fact that you just said translation good. Oh, right. Translation well, good, faith alike. That is also, I feel, important <laughs> to the topic of conversation we'll be talking about later on. It's a moment of fuck you. <laughs> that's right. It's time for another one of Doug's moment of fuck you. I have a podcast. Well, actually... <laughs> I am a co-host with Basil on a podcast and Kevin, but I have somewhat of a listener audience, and I'm going to use my power now to get up on a soapbox and tell you about something that has happened that I am really angry about. Okay, so for Christmas slash Hanukkah last year, my husband and I received a, uh, a uh, Kenmore freezer. From his parents. They bought it from Sears. They bought the extended warranty from Sears. Uh, I'm going to repeat that this is from Sears. Okay, so, around about end of July, the freezer broke. And we lost a lot of food, you know, we... We try to save our we try to save our money. Go buy frozen meat in bulk and store it in the freezer. Uh, you know, thaw it out in time to cook a dinner. Except, same thing a lot of people do. Right. Uh, because we had the extended warranty from Sears, we've actually dedicated a, a chunk of our living room. Well, not our living room. A chunk of our dining room to this freezer because it would have voided the warranty to put it out in the garage. So we've left it in our main home. Now our home is not particularly big. You know, it's it's one it's one story. The dining room is actually more or less in the middle of the house. It's more or less a great room with an open floor plan. It's really kind of just segmented off from the living room and the kitchen by just a little bit. So when this thing broke down, it started emitting this horrendous smell that permeated our whole house. And we were actually really confused by this because when we discovered, when we identified what the origin of the bad smell was, uh, some most of the food was actually still cold. It was clearly thawing out. The duck apparently had enough mass that it kept a lot of it still cold for a good long time. You know, it was smelling bad before it had even fully thawed, but we got all the food out, took pictures of it. Uh, 
what the actual smell was, was that the refrigerator was leaking this chemical onto the floor. It was leaking this chemical onto our hardwood floor, this blue-green chemical. Probably the coolant. Onto our hardwood floor. Mm-hmm. And regular listeners may know from us talking about my animals that may or may not be making noises while we're doing recordings. I have a dog and two cats. Uh, leaking a chemical onto my hardwood floor... It's a bad idea for your pets. It's very bad for our pets, especially uh, since we looked... My husband did get online and looked up like various different things that this chemical could possibly be, and the worst-case scenario... This chemical is probably not toxic to us, but maybe toxic to uh, maybe toxic to sm- like small pets that spend most of their time, you know, floor level. Evidently, the any chemical that might oxygen uh, that might turn into a gas is heavier than air, so it probably wouldn't affect us, but it would affect our pets. And so we called, but we called Sears the moment we noticed it was broken to try to get somebody to come out to fix us to fix it for us, and it took them, it took them two months to get anybody to come out to the house to look at it. We called them back multiple times to try to get that date moved up because the freezer was leaking a possibly toxic chemical onto our floor and we had no idea what it was, but they couldn't do anything for two months. Hmm. Uh, eventually, you know, we just couldn't take it anymore, and we found, uh, that there is actually a removable tray where we could remove some of that horrible smelling stuff, but it, it took, like, really combing through the manual, like, super combing through the manual Mm -hmm. to find, to find that. And even then we were scared of voiding our warranty when we did it, it's only because it was in the manual step by step of how to do it that we decided, well... Right. If it's in the manual saying this is how to do it, it must be okay. But, oh gosh, it was so terrible. Like, it made us feel sick around the house. It was just awful. And then, by the time the guy came out to look at the freezer, mm-hmm. it was he then had to order another part because Sears will not replace something, will not replace a, a, a unit like this. Until they've fixed it four times within the same year. Ah. And so it took him a month to get in the part he thought was wrong and fix it. Uh, ju- and he gave us the price tag just in case this wasn't covered under our warranty for some reason. His visit just to come out and inspect it was more than his dad paid for the freezer in the first place. Wow. So... Fortunately, we didn't have to pay it because it was covered under the Mm. warranty, so Sears had to pay that. But if Sears had rejected paying that, we would have had to pay that, and we didn't even call this guy. He was just somebody contracted out from Sears. Uh, In addition to that, it took him a month to get the part and to fix our freezer. But now it's fixed and everything's okay. No, it's not! (laughs) Okay, we let it run for a month. We regularly, once a week, check to see if it's still cold in here, and it was. 
Mm-hmm. The reason now the actual real reason that we waited a month rather than two weeks to put food in it was because Sears, as part of the warranty, will replace the food that you lose due to your your uh, guaranteed product going out on you. Uh, and it took them about another month to get the check into the mail to us, so we got the check a month after it had been fixed. We went to Sam's Club. We went to Sam's Club. Put like a frozen lasagna in there. Some frozen, uh, some frozen uh, fish. Some frozen chicken. A couple of other like frozen things. Things. Uh, and we're thinking to ourselves, "Hooray!" And now we won't have to worry about what we're going to have for dinner for another month or two. Right. Well, we went out of town. Like. For 24 hours. We, like, went to Chattanooga, mm-hmm. you know, spent the night with a friend and came back, like, early the next morning. And there was a bad... And at first the house smelled fine, but by the end of the day there was a bad smell in the house. Only this time we knew what it was. Immediately. No. And it was made even worse because this time, you know, there wasn't a giant duck keeping everything cool. Uh... And so, from the time we put it in, we put this food in, like, it was maybe three days before all this food went bad again. And this time, when we called Sears to have them come out there and fix, this is when it, like, we're sitting here confused because we don't know how we're ever going to trust this freezer again. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know how we're ever going to trust this freezer again We're to put food in it. Like, it's basically useless to us now because... You know, it's just going to go bad again. Um, and we called Sears. We called Sears to have it, to ha- schedule another appointment to have another guy come out. You know, you know what's the status now? We are now on a waiting list to be put on the appointment list to have a guy come out and check it. And this was actually the time when we discovered that it takes... They have to fix it four times in the same year before they will trade it out, which really works out great for Sears when you think about it. Because, I mean, if it takes them four months to fix the thing in the first place, man, they're never going to have to replace this terrible freezer that they sold us. And apparently the power has been taken all out of the people at the corporate store. The people at the actual physical store can't do anything. It all has to go through this corporate who clearly don't care about us. So my moment to fuck you is everybody, Sears fucked us. Sears seriously has fucked us. And now the only thing I can really do to fuck them is to let everybody know how bad they fucked us. And so please stop using them. Because they could fuck you too. Alright. Well. And that was Doug's moment of fuck you. So, you got the Xbox 360 of freezers. Evidently. Okay, well. Well, if it was an Xbox 360... At least somebody would have just flat out replaced it by now. Well, well, no, because 
you you didn't you didn't get your you know freezer from Best Buy. Oh, that's true. Only we had gotten it from Best Buy. Oh, you know that's the biggest thing is I actually just wish Sears would just give us the money back for the freezer so that we could buy it from someplace like Lowe's or Best Buy that actually like I don't know when they sell you a service plan actually gives you a service. They're really good with lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> but alright, now we'll be talking about something much more fun. Much less FU, much more Star Driver. <laughs> You may be wondering, why Star Driver and why now? Well, when Star Driver first aired, I believe that was during our year and a half of suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was during the same general ballpark time period as we were thinking about doing it during, like, we had that tornado that knocked out our city's power for a week or two. Mm-hmm. That was the time... Where my mom passed away, and generally the podcast was very, very intermittent in releasing. It was that's very why, touch and go. Like so, yeah. So, yeah. So we 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 barely got any of the things that we really wanted to talk to. In fact, Cora was one of those. Well, that was one of the things that we wanted to get back to. We had a wonderful excuse. Now, somewhat, um, I guess, serendipitously. After we finished recording the core podcast, I went to go start putting things away uh, because Kevin started mentioning the Star Driver of the movie. Him and Doug started this like long conversation how much they love Star Driver. And me listening to them went, oh wait, that's right. Some people really, really, really did love Star Driver. And both of them are on this podcast. Yes! <laughs> that's Man, right. I love Star Driver. <laughs> and so I felt... That because there's these t- these two wonderful wonderful friends of mine, my co-hosts really love this show. It's by time we we sat down and recorded a podcast so they can transmit their love into the microphone and into your hearts. Aww. So all right, guys, I'm gonna crack over this tab. I'm gonna play some uh, Candy Crush Saga and let y'all go. Okay, uh, I'm still going to be turning to you to fill me in on, like, names and stuff. Oh, no, no, I'm not actually going to play. I don't, oh, God, no, I don't play Candy Crush Saga. <laughs> Are you crazy? That is, like... I don't even know what Candy Crush Saga that, is. That you, you stay that. Good. You stay. Good. <laughs> okay. You stay that innocent flower. Okay. Like you, oh, my God, it's the worst thing. It's well, pure evil. And pure evil in tablet game casual money microtransaction game form. Huh. It, it is the devil. It is. It's a, it's, it's a game that you think is really fun and realize it just wants all your money. Oh, okay. I see. Like, you don't actually... It's. I've downloaded a couple of those games. Had a lot of fun. Then they started demanding money. Yeah, yeah. That And it's the king of them. Yeah. So anyways, Star Driver, Studio Bones. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then it demands... Wait, no, it doesn't ever demand your money unless you well, buy the Blu-rays. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're buying the DVDs, then it demands your money, but... 
Uh, I'm actually not sure if the Blu-rays are still in print because they were put out by Bandai, and I'm not sure if they're one of the ones they kept going or if they abandoned ship with most of their licenses. Well, I watched, uh, you know, I just marathon marathon the first half of the series to kind of refresh myself and renew my Star Driver love, and I was watching it on Crunchyroll. You mm-hmm. mentioned uh, in preparation for this podcast, watching, you know, you know, per, you know, re. Gorging yourself yeah. on the star drivery goodness. Yeah, in my case, I've got the Blu-rays. Okay, so you actually have the Blu-rays. Yes. Um, That's there was two sets, twelve episodes each. Yeah. Um, no English dub, just subbed. Mm, only extras are really kind of your clean opening and closings, and that was about it. Some trailers. Uh, well, when I watched it for the first time, I watched it on Crunchyroll. I was actually a little bit late to the star driver party because. Everybody kept telling me, Doug, you need to watch Star Driver. You are going to love it. There is a character who is called the Galactic Pretty Boy. And just getting a random fly up my craw, I said to my... I I was like, I don't just like things because they have cute boys in them. I didn't understand what they meant. (laughs) There is literally a character... Who other characters refer to his title within the context of the show is the Ginga Bishonen. And the best translation of that is Galactic Pretty Boy. It's. Yeah. And then they are all Ginga Bishonen, even the girls. <laughs> yes. Th- then by the end of the show, they're all Ginga Bishonen, even the girls. Uh, the thing about. The phrase Ginga Bishonen and its translation, its translated brother of Galactic Pretty Boy, is that Ginga Bishonen is a little bit not as outrageous as Galactic Pretty Boy. But only a little bit. The thing is, is that Bishonen doesn't, in Japanese, doesn't have the same connotation as. Yeah. Calling someone a pretty boy. Yeah, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same, like, connotation It's calling somebody a pretty boy. I'm saying what Kevin said again. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean by that is, is, you know, when you call someone a pretty boy, you're, you're kind of implying that they care a little bit too much about their looks. You're, you're maybe saying that they're not particularly strong, you know, they are too focused on their looks, but when you, in, Japanese, when you refer to somebody as a bishonen, you're simply noting that they are an attractive, uh, attractive young, man young man or yeah. attractive adolescent. Pop- it does technically even refer to an attractive child. It's just you see that used much more rarely. Generally, at most through like your teenage years, you tend yeah. to... Yeah, yeah usually they mm. refer to like an attractive teenager is going to mm. be a bishonen. Um uh, however, you know, good just knows that it's been applied to young adults as well. But typically, yeah, uh, especially in the context of this show, I almost think that they're using Bashonin to just refer to an attractive teenage, uh, an attractive teenage boy. Um, and then you apply Galactic in there. <laughs> galactic. You apply Galactic in there. They tend to drop Galactic at random in this show here and there. They tend to drop all kinds of cosmic things in this show here and there. So, Kevin, I've talked about the Galactic Pretty Boy. Why don't you put it in a little bit more context? 
for the viewers. Oh, well, I mean, a Star Driver. I, I guess, well, to just basically explain the setup. Yeah, explain the setup. Uh, that's what I'm asking. I mean, it really literally starts with our protagonist, Takto Tsunashi, uh, having washed up on a beach <laughs> because he tried to swim to an island instead of taking the ferry. Uh, where two people who live on this island, the small tropical island, um, one assumes it's somewhere near Japan because people have Japanese names and are presumably speaking Japanese. But it's never really clear. There's a lot of people with very Western names, True. Too. But, yeah, it's never very clear exactly where this island is. So, well, they do call it Southern Cross Island, so maybe it literally really is way south. I don't know, but... Uh, yes, it's, it's Southern Cross Island. Um, so, there's a... A... Cons- a shadowy, conspiratory organization that is using subspace time and various technobabble words to get people, to get people, mostly teenagers, to pilot these giant mecha that fight one another for various reasons. There's shrine maidens and songs. There's inheriting, like, symbols of warriors and Aliens, yeah. and except you don't know there's aliens, that was a little bit of a spoiler. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> well, okay, Anna, whatever Doug says aliens, please bleep that. <laughs> Seriously, beep. just please bleep that. <laughs> All right, continue. But in any case, there's a conspiracy upon this island and a secret society with mysterious relics that happen to be giant robots. Yes. And they have plans. We don't know what the plans are. I think a lot of the members of this group have completely different ideas what the plan is. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the spoiler section because, yeah, the different members have to have very but, different ideas. Yeah. But, you know, they periodically meet up, dress up in silly outfits, wear masks, do little secret handshakes, and, uh, you know, generally act like an evil organization out to conquer the world. And you know they're teenagers for the most part. <laughs> well, they're actually they're not all teenagers. Um, that was actually one of the things that I was having to point out to uh, my partner as we were watching it was he kept going, "Gosh, why this?" And this is why American student councils have no power. I mean, this student council clearly. And I had to sit there and go, <laughs> you know, like only not everybody on this this council is even. A student at the school. You no, know, no, you mentioned that. I don't think anyone is ever specifically mentioned as being part of the student council. Yeah, for no. once. <laughs> yeah, like it's not the student council. Although I do think it was intentional that they tried to make this shadowy organization look a little bit like it might be the school student council. Yeah. Although, pseudo spoiler, there's other. There are other people than would be on a student council there. who are members of this organization. I actually suspect a large number of the people who live on the island are, in fact, a part of the organization. They do have huge mobs of faceless people in the background. Yeah, <laughs> there can't be that many people on the island. But <laughs> in fact, uh, there's there's one character that you know, two of the shadowy organization members in masks are talking and. One of them looks at the other member and goes, Okay, so we all came here... So when we joined this organization and moved to this island, we all came here to work as professors at the university, so why are you spending all your time at the high school? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that character is clearly... Yes. Well, I-, I feel that you can more or less, you know, the people who live on this island, you can sort of put them in possibly two factions. One, faction one, 
is pro shrine maidens. I would put them in three categories. Well, pro shrine maidens. Uh, Kiriboshi. Yeah, Kiriboshi, which is the name of the shadowy organization. So we probably should mention that now. The name of the shadow or- organization is Kiriboshi. The glittering cross is, I think, yeah. how that it's translated. Yeah. Uh, I don't really remember what the actual Japanese. I like glittering crux, which was from the fan sub version, but whatever. That's, <laughs> yeah. Uh... The yeah, glittering, glittering crux, glittering cross. You get the general idea, but Kiriboshi. I feel free to say I enjoyed the fan subs because I really bought it when it came out. <laughs> well, Star Star Driver was one of those shows that, unfortunately, when it first came out. In Japan, we did not get a stream. We right. Didn't. The stream came out a bit after the anime came out. And, and so a lot oh, of people yeah. who wanted to watch it... Was that at Otakon where we saw Shinji Aramaki bring it up? Uh, probably. Because that actually made me realize it existed and was coming. And then I was... It was either that or AWA. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was at. But it was like, I want to see that show. That sounds cool. But... Because it did not get a stream when it first came out, a lot of people were... That was still like when Fansub still had sort of a hold... They still have a somewhat hold on some people, but nowadays a lot of people actually do stream. But this is sort of in between that that phase where where stream was really taking over. And so a lot of people did watch the Fansubs. And so it's one of those neat things where actually if you go read reviews and things, especially on Amazon stuff... They'll still use the GG terminology, the GG Fansubs terminology. Because that's who did the, the... The fan sub. I don't know if they were the first fan subs, but they were definitely one of the better fan subs. I think they might have been the only game in town with Star Driver. Yeah. Or if there was, it wasn't good enough to note. But Well, GG did a good job fan subbing it. But there you go. So a lot so if we use terms, the fact is yeah. we watched both versions of it and we might yeah, get the various like, terms. Uh, I believe GG went with George instead of Joji. Yeah. Uh, yet oddly enough, I think they went with Kato where the official went with Kate. Yeah. And uh, they, GG, called the called it a cyber casket. Uh, the officials called it an electric beer. Yeah. <laughs> but, like I said, the, you know, the two factions I see are the Pro Shrine Maiden faction and the Kiriboshi faction. There could potentially be a third faction that is... I call pe- it the unaware faction. Is right. Well, the third faction I, just, I would throw in there. Well, well that's well, what I was going to lead to, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that anyone is actually legitimately unaware <laughs> I mean, they, they, for the most part, go out of their way not to interfere with each other in real life, apparent, for whatever reasons. But. Well. Well, I think that's because everything that the giant robots do battle in is an alternate space. Right. Yes. And that is something to say. When, that's but, possibly the best explanation I've ever seen for how can they get away with having these giant robots fight and do all this potentially, yes. like, catastrophic damage and nobody except for the people actively participating yes. in the fight ever gets hurt. Because these robots are super advanced, see almost seemingly magical technology that can do incredible things, but they can only exist in a little pocket dimension where the rest of the world time stands still. Yes. So they're trapped. They're trapped on this island, and they can't do anything. Yeah, they, they only operate outside of time and space. And there's <laughs> four women who are traditionally... I. I it's implied, anyways, passed down through family lines. Yeah. Who are the traditional guardians of this seal, the four maidens, one for each cardinal direction. And as long as their seals are intact, the giant robots will never get out to menace the rest of the world. Um, Kiriboshi wants to totally break all those seals and go out with the giant robots and menace the world. 
Okay, so before we actually started recording, Kevin and I were actually talking about what if Kiraboshi approached us and offered us to join our organization. And I believe, Kevin, you said that pretty much the moment that Kiraboshi said, So, we're starting this organization where we're going to bring giant robots to the world. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm in. Sign me up. Say yeah. no more. That's all you need to get, Kevin. <laughs> giant robots in the world. No further questions asked. Sign me up. Especially with such incredibly fabulous looking giant robots as this show has. <laughs> yes. Uh, but one of the things, we haven't really... The show is definitely shown in anime. It's definitely shown in anime. It's, it's very much action oriented. But we haven't really said much about the nat- nature of the show. Because it's very, very hard to say anything about the nature of this show. Well, I mean, it, well, I mean, just to start out... It has the scriptwriter Rutane on board. Yes, he's on board with this. And you know how much we love him. And it was his... the director of um, was the Arlen High School director? Hold up, hold up! I got this. Yeah, Basil's on the scenario. Duty. The scenario writer was a Yoji Inokido, mm-hmm. and he primarily did uh, he did the script for Furry Curry. He did the script for uh, the parish part of Nodame Cantabile. He did the series composition for Host Club. Oh, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. Um, there are some definite shout-outs to Host Club here and there. Yeah. He also worked on the script for Redline. He also worked on the script for Tana. He also, you know, wrote the script for Melody of Oblivion. And then the director was a guy named uh, Takuya Iragashi. And he also did direct um, Doremi. He directed Doremi. Okay, yeah. And he did some some storyboard some storyboarding on Musishi. Some. He also did some directorial work on Sailor Moon. And but his primary thing was actually um, well, Star Drive was really was one of his major things where he was a director. Yes. Um. And and this 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 uh, let's see. Being the Star Driver, being the brainchild of this particular grouping of people, really actually shows through in it. I think this Star Driver may be one of the better things that Studio Bones did, has done because they more or less see it through to the end. A lot of times, Bones yeah. has issues. They get about halfway through or three fourths of the way through, and they kind of well, it helps. It's an original. Or am I getting confused with somebody else? I think well, you confuse somebody else. Go, uh, Bo- that's like more like a Gonzo. You're thing. right. I am. Okay, I yeah. take it back. Bones. This is still one of the better yeah. things Bones did, but when, not. But I was getting Bones confused with Gonzo, yeah. and so I apologize for that. That was when my mistake. Bones, I think, is best when they're working on an original project. There is, they do have a, a bit of an issue. They have had a bit of an issue with uh, the original Full Metal Alchemist series and Soul Eater, both, where they got through what was about what all that was available of the manga at the time. And then they and made up an they ending. they had to either make up an ending, or in the case of Full Metal Alchemist, they still about had half the show left. Um. <laughs> And uh, the guy who was the primary mecha design was Shigeto uh, Koyama, but who also worked on Eureka Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, did some actual uh, key animation for the Evangelion movies, mm-hmm. and is the art director for Kill a Kill. So we're looking Ooh. forward to that. And most importantly, most importantly, he was the conceptual design for Inferno Cop. Yes, that is possibly the most. 
That is the most wow. important detail. That makes like Inferno Cop and Talburn like Design Brothers. Yes, that's that's, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> the, the thing about the thing about Star Driver is, uh, it ta- it takes a uh, it takes ideas that are very common mode, that are very common uh, are are tricks of the trade or even cliches of one genre of anime. Does them right next to uh, things that are cliches and things that are common traits of another genre of anime, does, the, does those things uh, in ways you wouldn't imagine them being done in their, typical, in their typical genre, then does them straightforward exactly the way you would expect them to be done in their, in their genre. So you have this weird sort of mix where it's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of magical girl elements, oddly enough. Yeah. In addition to the giant robots, yeah. in addition to the science fiction, in addition to the fan, in, in addition to like the Shinto Miko fantasy, in addition to the school life. Yeah. Very All happening together, side by side, one after another. <laughs> yeah, like it's got a little bit of the politics things that so, that a lot of mecha shows have, but it's not. It, it is on a global scale, but it's not on a global it's kind scale. Kind of the lip service, like oh, we have well, the, we have maneuverings and conspiracies, and well, th- everything takes place on this small island. We don't actually go off the island, except for in a handful of flash, except for in a handful of Takoon's flashbacks about his backstory. There is a little bit with um, oh. Kamiko, the green-haired girl whose husband is significantly older than her and you never see. Well, that's the thing. But he's off somewhere doing things most, with money. Most of the time when yeah. they reference him, they're simply, they're still on the island just vaguely yeah. referencing They're on the island, but they're referencing that he's off somewhere doing things that are making them money that's supposed to eventually pay off when they have giant robots in the world. But otherwise, mm-hmm. almost all the events, even though there's the implication that there's a global scale, mostly takes place within the small island. So these world politics, while there there is an element of that in the show, uh, while there's an element of that in the show, it isn't it is it's not a constant presence in the show, and that's actually one of the things that I don't like about a lot of mecha shows. Is I actually find that that a lot of times the world global politics tends to be a little tiresome, and I feel like it bogs it down a lot of the times. That's just because you watched Wing. Yeah, that's <laughs> just, the, that may just because worst. I watched, like, certain well, episodes of Gundam that weren't... Okay, I take that back. See, Destiny does it the worst, but that didn't exist yet when we when we saw Wing. <laughs> but, you know, I think both... The thing that Star Driver is, that does well... It's over both the to, top. Both does for its... And it's... It serves it best, and also to its detriment. Mm-hmm is that the show is superficial. Like, yeah. we have argued whether we call it hollow or shallow, but I think we can both agree on superficial. A lot of times with deep shows, like with Co- like Code Geass, for example, Code Geass uh, by the to- you know, has this really big convoluted plot, and by the end of Code Geass, you, you sit there and go to go, you, you say to yourself, okay, well, what was this series really about? And you can come up with a handful of sentences, maybe a paragraph, that basically summarizes what the underlying plot behind all the twists and turns of the various episodes actually turned out to be. When, I, when it came to Star Driver, I found myself trying to do that, only being confounded trying to figure out how to do it, yeah. because it's really, really hard. And what I eventually realized while I was attempting to do that was... 
I realize that Star Drivers actually goes uh, to great lengths to do it very, very complex and be very... Star Driver is an over-the-top anime. It's... uh, And this is one of the things that it's both to its advantage and detriment is that it is so over-the-top. Um, it's a little bit like Gurren Lagann that way, but don't actually think it's anything like Gurren Lagann. It's nothing. <laughs> well, like, it's only, it's only, the, the only similarity is that they are over the top and they have mechs. Like, <laughs> while both Gurren Lagann and Star Driver both have a lot of style to them. Yeah. Star Driver lives and breathes on its style. Yes. Like, all the underpinnings, everything in that show... Its purpose is to enhance and to show off its style. So, before we even get to the spoiler section, I'm going to tell you what the ulterior motive of the story actually is. It actually is that the human spirit is great. Well, yes, and I I feel that we've kind of done a disservice with this show so far, because we haven't really talked about the main character. The guy who actually ties (laughs) this entire show together. Oh, he has. You haven't really talked about him directly. He is the galactic pretty boy. Okay, so episode one, uh, Kevin did mention that Takun... It's... Takto. I think you may be thinking of Furry Curry. Uh, I think I was. (laughs) I think I was thinking of Furry Curry. Nothing alike. Nothing alike. Uh, So, Takuto... Takuto, uh, Kevin mentioned earlier, Takuto washes up on shore... Uh, he, he washes up on shore after having swum to the island from the mainland because he missed the ferry as his excuse. And so two of the other two characters who end up being his uh, best friends and kind of like the the two guys in a girl trio, um, you know, th- they rescue him as he's washed up on shore and nurse him back to health. But he's... It turns out he's already transferred to the school. All his stuff has already been delivered to the school. He just missed the ferry on the way over that morning. And uh, and in transferring to the school, he makes it to the dorm. He makes it to the dorms and, and the RA's announcement. And the RA goes through this entire like list of rules. Some of the most of which are fairly typical. But she mentions, oh, and no one is supposed to go to the abandoned gold mine behind the school. It's very dangerous, so be sure to stay far away from that place. Next, Next scene, scene, he is standing in front of in front of the caged building with wire cutters. With wire cutters, it's a pinch. <laughs> Because he knows where the plot is. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, do they actually say that? I forget now. No. That's something we just kept saying. <laughs> actually, I have to admit, I, the I like this guy who knows where the plot is came from someone else's review I read of it, uh, but it is completely true. It is. It's completely true. <laughs> he clearly knows where the plot is and is not afraid to just blatantly go there. Um Basil made a made a mention as uh, he came over while I was in the middle of a, of a couple of the episodes. Uh, one of the other characters uh, of the Glittering Crocs said to him, said to him, uh, "You know, the problem with you is that you're just too straightforward." And that might be a summary for the whole anime. I really think it is. I think the 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 real nice the thing that's really nice about Star Driver and the thing that kind of harms Star Driver. Is that no matter what it does, it is completely and utterly straightforward about it. Every time you think there's hidden layers, 
No, no, it's really blunt about it. It's very, it's a blunt anime. Like, it does a whole bunch of things where, uh, you know, a couple of characters may be talking and you think they're talking as some sort of convoluted rival. No! No, it was exactly what they said. And then a lot of times the characters are talking and you think that they're talking about something very straightforward and that one's actually the one where they're talking in, like, an illusion in a... But, I mean, the closest thing to, like, illusions or mysteries left unexplored... Is really just kind of stuff that's entirely backstory. That is, in fact, actually unimportant to the story you are watching. Yeah. And even that stuff, as they present it, is in fact actually very straightforward. They're just... Yeah. They they present it in a veneer of, like, a story, but it's just the backstory. Yeah. They're just straight up telling you the backstory with just the, the, the simplest of illusions on top of it. The show is straight up, like, in your face. Here I am. I'm awesome. Look at me. Yeah, it's just, it's completely honest in what it is. Like, um, if, if you have, if you're familiar with Basil's panels that he does when he goes to conventions, he does this one panel called Getting Your Anime Groove Back. Star Driver is not an anime to watch if you are trying to get your anime groove back, because it really does rely a lot of things that are tricks of the trade of anime, but when I say it it relies on them, it's not just that it's relying with them, it's actively playing with them. So because it's actively playing with, it's actively playing with them, if you've got your anime groove on, if you are really comfortable and going, man, I'm really digging anime right now and I just am wanting a good anime to watch, this is one of them. This fits that bill. Uh... But if if you're kind of if you're kind of getting away from anime, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this anime stuff. Star Driver may not be the one you want to try getting back into it with. I actually, in a weird way, because in, in a lot of ways, I don't feel it's in the same sphere of animeness as, say, Code Geass or Valbrave is. Yeah. But it really feel it feels like it's in that same sphere, but it's not. Uh, both Valvrave and Code Geass are what craziness can we do next? Which Star Driver sort of follows suit. What awesome thing can we do next? Yeah, uh, it it does. It kind of is in that in that sphere a little bit. But the difference is, okay, Valvrave clearly isn't finished yet. So maybe something will happen with Valvrave later that will make me go. Yeah. Oh, so they really did think about it from the beginning to the end, but at the, where I'll be surprised. But currently, where they are, I don't. I watch it just because I expect them to do just something completely off the wall next time from out of the blue every single episode, and that's kind of neat in its own way. But with Star Driver, it's very obvious that while it is, it's it's very clearly like they had this super weird idea that they wanted to execute with giant robots. Uh, it still is a much more cohesive well, idea from beginning to end, even than Code Geass, which is pretty cohesive. Well, actually, I feel that both Code Geass and Valve Rave, they didn't know what they were doing from episode <laughs> episode. I really don't think. I, I still think Valve Rave was intended as a parody and no one told the director. Like, I feel, I think for the Code Geass' first season, I think they had ideas where they wanted that show generally to go. Yeah. I yeah. think for the second season... Well, it's because they got moved to an earlier time slot, and they're like, oh, you mean we can't have topless women and girls doing naughty things with the ends of tables anymore? What the but, hell are we going to do with our plot? That was our whole second season. But <laughs> regardless, 
I really feel in that second season that they didn't know what they were doing, and the show really suffered until the very end for it. it Whereas Valve Rave, I think the whole point is, let's just figure something out as we're going along. Whereas Star Driver, I think they did know where they wanted to start and where they wanted to end. And actually, what they want to do in the middle, yeah. I think what unites the three in my brain is that they're all three shows that you don't want to think about too much. Yeah. Like, they're not they're not meant for... Even stuff like Gurren Lagann, I, I think you can dig a little deeper into it. You, there's there's more to it yeah, than yeah. just surface level. Because Gurren Lagann's the greatest Gatorobo fan fiction ever made. Right. But... Star Driver, I don't think, is a show that you really need to dig that much into. Well, you... And this is probably a little bit to its advantage in, in comparison to this, the other spheres of this genre. Is that, you know, you can dig a little bit deeper into it and it doesn't fall apart. It's just if you dig into it a little bit too deep, you find that there's not as much to sink your teeth into as you might have first thought. But it still holds up. I really feel that this is pretty much anime cheesecake. Yeah, I agree. Like this is definitely on oh, God straight up. But it's anime cheesecake. Awesome yeah. anime cheesecake. Okay, the rule of cool is definitely the cool dominant effect. factor yes. no, I mean, in, in in Star Driver. Uh but if you, you know, start thinking about oh this is symbolic of this or this must really mean that, you probably are thinking too hard. Sometimes a giant sword is just a giant sword. And because the if it because the giant sword is not a giant sword, just wait and the anime will tell you if that's true or not. Like so and I think again that is it both its biggest plus and its biggest minus. Well, again, that is kind of part of when I said when I said that the ultimate point of the whole story is hey, isn't the human spirit awesome? That's actually the main character's uh that seems to be the main point that the character is making, is that the main thing that he has going for him is basically that he's the hero of the story. <laughs> he's the hero of the story, and so he's going to be awesome just to be awesome and do the right thing. And he's just so straightforward that any time anybody tries to come up and be convoluted and be shadowy and secretive, he just won't let he it. He just walks right through the convolution and is like, this is exactly what's going on. Which, <laughs> there's a specific example of this that I'll reference in the spoilers. <laughs> well, I, I think at this point, I think we're good enough to start going into the spoiler section. Um, you can still find it on it. It is streaming on Crunchyroll. Which is convenient. Uh, it might be streaming in other places. I wouldn't be surprised if it's on like Hulu or Daisuke. Um, you can still find it on Amazon. It is still possible. It, you are going to be looking at closer to prices like still 50 to 60 bucks per set. Um, yeah, the people who yeah. liked this show really liked I'm this show. I'm pretty sure I paid less for it. So there, there's probably some well, markup. Yeah. It's, it's out of print. Yeah, it's out of print. It is out of print. No one's picked up a license again, as far as I know. Of course, the likely one would be Anaplex, and they're liable to overprice it if they did pick it up. I think so, Anaplex does have it, because that's on Crunchyroll. Well, they, they made it. They made it in Japan. Like, streaming rights and physical media yeah. release rights are two separate things. Yeah. Mm. Because, well, Anaplex is the like the main, the people who distributed it in Japan, so that's why mm -hmm. I'm thinking if anyone picked it up in the U.S., it would logically be Anaplex, most likely. Mm. But... So they probably had the digital 
rights yeah. to it still. Whereas Bandai, uh, well, yeah, even if you watch, it. even if you watch the Bandai Blu-ray, you get the little Erner Burks thing well, right at the beginning. Oh, there, there's a couple of more things I did want to talk about before we get to the spoilers. Okay, go for it. Uh, one of that is the translation issue. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we we briefly touched on mm. it. Uh, when I was talking about the Galactic Pretty Boy, but we didn't get into full as full depth of it as I wanted to, and it's something I noticed as I was rewatching it. Um, now I do not speak Japanese that well. I, in fact, don't speak it well at all. I, I can really only listen to it, so which is far from being uh, that's far from being fluent. Um, but I can understand enough of it that as I was sitting there watching the show. I was realizing that the characters were not actually saying what the subtitles were saying they were saying. However, I knew enough to know that what they meant was more or less what the subtitle said they were saying. So this is an interesting case where, um, this is, an, and a lot of times, especially with the fan subs, I remember some of, I remember some of the fan subs were a little bit more literal, but it made less sense when they put it out there. I actually felt the actual opposite. Okay. I felt the 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 actual official translation was a little too literal. Ah. Whereas the where Gigi's work and the fan sub work actually like they did more editorial work on it. Yeah. Well, uh, they they more um, they more localized it than just translated. There are a few moments in the official subs where it even seems like they just said, "Yeah, we're not going to translate that. We're just going to write it out in Japanese." Well. For example, in the official in the official subtitle, uh, they leave it as Ginga Bishonen, which I think is to its detriment. I think it's supposed to be over the top and crazy. Because while I was talking about uh, Pretty Boy not be- Bishonen not being as bad as uh, Pretty Boy, it's still to refer to yourself as the Galactic yes. Pretty Boy is still a little embarrassing actually, to say. I actually am not sure which I think is more fun to say, Ginga Bishonen or Galactic Pretty well, Boy. But uh, one of one of one of the creators of the show actively, I remember this at the time. He actively did say that one of the reasons is that he actually had the character say, "And I'm the Galactic Pretty Boy," is because he wanted it to be a little goofy and embarrassing. As he strikes a Sailor Moon pose. And, yes, he strikes a very Sailor Moon-esque pose. And, you know, has a magical transformation into, like, his kind of quasi-military, uh, like, in super tight pants and boots and military jacket. And, <laughs> and just and, the most fabulous thing in Fabulous Town. Oh, oh, the yes. anime is so fabulous. And I will say, though, set, like, I, am, I don't quite drink the Star Driver Kool-Aid as much as Doug and Kevin do. Or possibly, in Doug's case, drinking the tea, <laughs> the Star Driver tea, as much as Kevin Doug does. Because one of the things that, um, you know, Keto said also was that this was going to be him running wild. And it was going to be crazy and over the top. He didn't run wild enough. He, he, he didn't. Like, I watched and loved Melody of Oblivion. I loved that one, too. That was good. And that is crazy. That is running wild. That feels like that was his response to, he was done to Tana, but you hadn't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Whereas this one, it's fun. And then I think that's the real trick with Star Drivers, that's fun. It's that you don't, don't take it at the level it gives you to it, take it at its service value, and just enjoy the ride. Well... Again, this is, I think, you you not quite buying the Star Driver Kool-Aid, but, like, 
I emphasize that like even more. Like this is an anime to like it, it's a it is a ride. Get on it, ride it out. It is a fantastic it is a fantastic ride, and it's a ride that is good to come back to. Like actually yeah. watching it through the second time, there's a yes. whole bunch because yeah, I, I now knew mm. the ending. I now knew a bunch of stuff that was secret. A bunch of the earlier stuff that I thought was just kind of weird gags, or this is just a weird space filler. It made more sense. It was actually more cohesive. Yeah, and it, it does. It certainly it has a co- it does have a cohesive storyline. It like you said earlier, it definitely feels like they they had this plotted out to start with. They weren't making mm-hmm. up as they go along, and it, it it's just it's genuinely fun. The action is good. The music is good. The music's great, actually. And if um, you do mm-hmm. want to sink your teeth into it, if you do want to think about it a little bit, if you do want to think about it a little bit more, uh, there, you you know, it is all well thought out. Yes. You know, it is something that you can do that on. There's just not as much like with with uh, Basil brought up the melody of oblivion comparison. Whereas Melody of Oblivion is a symbolism wrapped in a metaphor. And there is just a bunch to sit there and dwell on and contemplate. Star Driver does have a somewhat deep message. It's just very blunt about its somewhat deep message. Well, I'd say there is a definite difference between something like Star Driver and, for example, someone like Gotchaman Crowds. Yeah. Uh, I feel there's a different, different thing going on with both of those shows, and one is trying to do a whole lot more with itself than the other. And well, I don't think that's bad, and I'm not trying to say that Star Driver is a terrible show or anything. But there's... But, like, when it comes to Star Driver being an anime that is kind of like a ride and just hitching yourself on and just going with it, I have to... I actually... That's another thing I have to really get behind because sometimes it is nice to just get in something yeah. where you can just immerse yourself as wonderfully as you can with, with something where you sit down and enjoy the amazing visuals, laugh at the jokes. It does have pretty amazing yeah. visuals. We barely by talked the, about yeah. the animation, yeah. but it's it's beautiful. Um, it's very, very flashy. It's very, very yes. action-oriented. The characters are weirdly, like... Everybody is super, super, th- you know, slimly proportioned. Yeah. Even the mechs are super yes. slim and they're, like they're noodle spiky. people. I mean, they're noodle maybe people. Not, maybe not exactly what you're expecting if you're thinking clamp style character designs. But uh, I will say that Star Driver is pretty chock full of fan service, and it never once bothered me. Yeah, it is chock full of the best fan service I I think I've seen in an anime past two thousand five. And it's very equal opportunity about it. Yeah, it helps when there's a character, when one of the female cast members is actually... Okay, so this three trio, our main character, his best guy friend that he's made since coming to the island, and his best lady friend since coming to the island, who he clearly has a crush on. Suvata and Wako. Yeah. Yeah. Who are the most laid-back love triangle in the history of anime. The super (laughs) laid-back love triangle. Uh, Okay... So, repeat their names again. Uh, Sugata and, and Wako. Yeah. So, Sugata and Wako are engaged. Uh, she's one of the shrine maiden. She's the southern shrine maiden. And he's... Uh, a very important person. Yes. And he's a very important well, his person. his family has traditionally marries one of the shrine maidens. Yeah. It's an old family on the island. Um, and her family is, like I said, the southern shrine maiden. 
her being the Southern so. Shrine Maiden's like revealed, if not in the yeah. first episode, oh, definitely the by first the second episode. episode. Very definitely first episode. In any case, they're both pretty well aware of what's but going on on the island. It's very yeah. traditional that his family, because it's an old established family, marries one of the Shrine Maidens, and he just so happens to be engaged to marry her, to marry Wako. Uh, so when uh, when Takato shows up and he kind of has a crush on Wako, Sukato is actually very very like, cool with this. He keeps making suggestions that maybe they should go out and yeah, date. He, he <laughs> seems to support them being a couple. Although, he, uh, periodically, he does do things that suggest that maybe he does really love her. Well, yeah, and uh, Takato, while he clearly has a crush on Wako, he also clearly respects that if Wako and Sugito wanted to get together, that he would respect he would the... He totally be cool with that. Yeah, and he, and he would just be there, and he would be there, continue to be their friend. Uh, meanwhile, Wako... Seems to imply on many occasions that if Sukato and Takato got together, that she would be more than happy about that. I, I really feel you're starting to get into spoiler territory here. Yeah. So <laughs> we are going to say, if you want to get it, you can still get it. Watch it on Crunchyroll. Definitely cheapest option. The Blu-rays and DVDs exist. The DVDs are actually still pretty cheap. You still get the like, DVDs for like 20 or 40 bucks total. Mm. Yeah. But the Blu-rays are still kind of pricey. Anyways, we're taking a musical interlude. Wait. And we'll come back with spoilers. Okay, one more thing. Well, it's more just a continuation before you started to roll it off. Of just, it is very equal opportunity fan service. It is very equal opportunity fan service. Uh, there is just as there is just as much like dude, you know, dudes taking a long bath as there is girls taking a long bath. Uh, there is just as much convenient shadows covering up the the voice you know, the nude boys, as there is conveniently placed props covering up the girls. Like, there's not any blatant nudity, and the nudity that is present is not, um... Is not... Basically Barbie doll anatomy. Yeah, it's not indecent in any way, but it is there, it is fanservice-y, but it's fanservice-y for everybody watching, no matter what your slant is. Yeah, there's sexy, skimpy outfits for everybody at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, but now, a musical interlude... And then, spoilers. Spoiler driver! And it was Spike Spiegel all along, and Spike Spiegel's dead. Wrong spoilers, Basil. Oh. Wrong spoilers. It's a Star Driver. Right, not Harry Potter. This is like the biggest... I don't know. What the hell is the biggest spoiler in Star Driver? The villain's really the actually, main character's dad? Yeah, I don't know. That, that's <laughs> the biggest spoiler in Star Driver. The main villain is the main character's dad, and the twins are not actually twins. <laughs> <laughs> and... Two biggest spoilers. Done. Oh, burn was his sled. Well, no, no, wait, no, Susan Kane. Um, yeah, that's the thing. This this show really does. You know, the spoilers are. It's both very hard to talk about the show without giving any spoilers, and at the same time, when you set out to talk about the spoilers, it's hard to think of what they are because it's so goddamn straightforward. Well, I mean, I guess one of the first ones would be that Sugata, the male best friend, is uh, has a mark. He could be a driver. But his mecha is the king mecha. It's and apparently anyone who's tried to access its power in his family has just gone into like a coma and never woke up. Yeah, <laughs> or died instantly yeah. there on the spot. Uh, so and he's 
And he, the glittering crux, thinks he should be their leader. <laughs> yeah, like they keep a seat open for him to come and join and be their leader at any point in time. Of course, another spoiler that's revealed by near the end of the series is that this is actually this would actually just be a sh- a puppet leadership position. The real power is and would always be with uh, Takato's father. Yeah, head. Head. Yeah, well, head. Nick- they all have nicknames. All yeah. the glittering crocs when they're in their crazy stripper gear and masks. Like, uh. that was actually something I thought was really fun the first time I was watching it, is trying to figure out who everybody was before the show flat out came out and told you. The show does, eventually. Flat out can come out and tell you mm, who everybody is. For the most part, is. it's pretty obvious, though. For the most part, it's pretty obvious, but still, it takes you a little while to identify everybody. Although when you're first <laughs> watching the show, I imagine there's a little more catch-up because you're not used to looking at everyone's faces yet. And yeah. You don't necessarily know who every character is by sight. But yeah, it's still, I mean, those masks are t- still pretty, pretty Bruce Wayne glasses. Yeah, they don't, for the most part, don't even make much effort to hide their hairstyles or, you know... One of them wears a hat. <laughs> There's one character that shows up in, like, the very episode she shows up as, like, a glittering crux member. You, She also shows up as a new character in the in the cast. And so you pretty much can easily just look at her mm. and go, yep, that's the same like, person. Who do I know in this show? <laughs> <laughs> but, oh. They've introduced a new character and a new glittering crux member. Who I could wonder. They be? But, no, especially, um... The show is kind of arranged into the, these three little segments, mm. you know, where it's, it seems like the North Shrine Maiden is doing the first chorus. Basil referred to them as choruses. I think that's very appropriate. Uh, the Northern Shrine Maiden is, is in charge of the first chorus. The the Western Shrine Maiden is... That's who who the story really revolves around during the, the second chorus. And during the last chorus, it really <coughs> seems to revolve around the... Um, Waco. Well, no, actually, it revolves around it revolves around the East Trine Maiden. Yeah. Waco, the Southern, she's present throughout the whole show, but yeah, well, she's doing a she. Okay, I was recalling them choruses, but really they would be more like a refrains or verses. Yeah, and she would be the chorus. She like it touches she's on her at the there. beginning. It touches her yeah. on her kind of between each major mm-hmm. verse. Like, she's always an issue, uh, right up until the end when it sort of becomes much more about the main character at last. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, I mean, the show basically starts with the the Northern Shrine, Shrine Maiden, her seal is broken. Yeah. And that's what lets any of this stuff happen at all. Because they couldn't even summon the giant robots in the timeless void without her yeah. seal being gone. And she willingly gave up yes. her seal. She got sweet-talked by the head. Yeah, uh, she got sweet talked by head. Reiji something is his pen name, and I don't even remember his real name. Something Tsunashi, obviously, but uh, <laughs> blah blah blah. Deadbeat father. Yeah. He's yeah. a deadbeat dad who looks a lot younger than he is. Well, he looks a lot younger than he is because he actively tried to like steal. Like he actively went out and got uh, a power. Like I think his power or something is something the equivalent of he can take other people's powers. And so he took somebody's power to make himself young. Well, it's really it's just somebody gave him his oh yeah their mark. Actually, it was that's well, what it is. He well, just takes other people's marks. Yeah, he actually gets two people to do this in the course of the show. Mm-hmm. In theory, the one his son has should have been his, except for his uh, grandfather. Well, his father, which would be 
His, yeah, Takedo's so grand, which would be Takedo's grandfather. Apparently, he recognized he was a rotten little shit to begin with, and said, "No, no magic mark for you." Uh, which pissed him off and spurned him on to further evils. Yes. Which you know, he likes to. He's a manipulator. He's a total manipulator. He's. What do I have to? What do I do to get you to give me what I want? So it <sighs> turns out that the ulti, that the giant ultimate king mech. What it can do that's special than what all the other little tiny mechs that are its servants can do is, one, I think it can control the other mechs. Well, yeah, it can basically reanimate them, essentially. But more uh, importantly... Well, and it apparently can travel through time. Uh, so my understanding... It was my understanding that it could basically completely... It could completely not just travel through time, but alter time and manipulate yes. time to design the universe to be whatever it wanted it to be. Well... That is why... It Well, what it's actually going to do if it ever gets loose is it's going to basically suck all the life out of the planet and then Head was going to use it to travel through time and relive the stuff he thought he fucked up and have fun with it. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't even like... And Head's like, I'm going to travel back in time and fix all the stuff I think I fucked up. It was... And he had something, like, really seriously tragic that happened to him that he wanted to go back and correct. No, it was a bunch of piddly little yeah, shit. Yeah, it's mostly just I was never really happy with my life, and nobody ever really loved me, or I didn't love them, or, and nothing ever worked out. And I totally spilt that drink. I didn't mean to spill that drink. I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna not, not spill, spill that, that drink. drink. Yeah, it was like... It was like piddly little shit. And so one of the best, most rewarding moments in all of Star Driver. One of the reasons why I think this is probably one of my favorite anime, it, it's, it's really up there for me, is, so Head is a manipulator. And multiple times in this show, to multiple characters, he comes in innocuously in some way, and in fact, to, in fact, to the main character, Sugata, the main character's best friend, he does this very thing. He introduces himself in a very innocuous way, like, oh, I'm here painting, you happen by, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to say things that are going to make you start thinking what I want you to think and make you act in a certain course of action I want you to act. Yeah, he makes subtle suggestions that set you on a course of path that make you more susceptible to listening to more suggestions from him, so on and so forth. Uh, and he's generally very good at convincing people to do what he wants. It's very, it's implied a lot of times that he is especially he uses his power even on the ladies. Um, and the man. <laughs> yes, it does imply that he does that on the men too, doesn't it? But it's, uh, it's pretty. Like, although it's there's more, no real implication that he has any actual real attachment to these people. <laughs> yeah, there's no. Yeah, even a uh, Takedo's mother, like no. She was mostly just a means to the end, or maybe even that he was just bored. Yeah, so he's not exactly a lovable character when you get to know him. No, he gets less lovable the more you know him. At least but, at the beginning, he's kind of mysterious. But he is, but he is very good. He is very charismatic, and he they do demonstrate throughout the show that he is very good at convincing other characters to go along with him. And by the time they realize his evil ways, they're already in too deep with him to get out. So he finally, after all this time. And all these revelations that he is Takato's father and these are his real plans, he finally meets up with Takato. And they've never met face to face before. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, and he starts working his magic on Takato. And I have to say, like, I remember watching it and I remember thinking, 
oh gosh, he, he's making good points, like Takedo's gonna go along with him. No. Not Takedo. He just walks up and punches him in the face. <laughs> and it's the most amazing thing because you weren't really, you weren't really expecting... Because every time else, this character has shown up and has talked to anybody else, has interacted with anybody else. He he's never like engaged in a direct confrontation with them. It's always been like talking and and converting through them through ideals and like planting suggestions and ideas in their head. And Takano just like punches him out. He's like knocks him off his spins feet. around, falls <laughs> off, and punches him in the face in a moment that you know honestly, yeah, you don't tend to even in that kind of character in anime. Tends to not get their comeuppance till the very end. Yeah, and this usually, is not the last episode yeah. either that this happens. And they in. usually get at least one shot at stringing the hero along. Yeah, usually the hero sits there and may have a moment of doubt when it turns out that no, they were right to dislike this character the whole time. No, not Takedo. He just cuts to the chase and just punches them in the face. Just. Right off, and like I said, this isn't even the last episode. There's more story yeah. that happens yeah. after this, yeah. in which Takano punches him several more times <laughs> by the end of it. But this one was the first one that Takano did, like, you know, yes. for being a jerk to him, I guess. The rest was for being a jerk to the world. <laughs> yeah. But, in some ways, you could argue that the anime is really about a boy's desperate journey to go out and punch his father in the face. So does this make this show the ultimate answer to Ava? Maybe. Maybe, because I still... This might be. I'm still hoping for Shinji punching Gendo in the face in the last reboot Or at least the ultimate (laughs) answer to Shinji. He is definitely um, pretty far removed from Shinji as you can get. He's so... uh, Takato is so far the anti-Shinji that I never actually made the uh, comparison yeah. that he might be Shinji before. Well, the reason why I also <laughs> mentioned that was because if you look at his backstory, mm-hmm. you know, Takato is, uh, before he enters his first phase, Yeah, whatever that first phase is, he is very down, he's very depressed, mm-hmm. he, is, he acts a lot like Shinji does. Yeah. Admittedly, it's this is like all in one part of one episode. You get this little flashback. He used to have two friends he hung out with, and he seemed like the quiet one in that group. Yeah. Until the the one of his friends died from a he apparently was dying from a terminal illness, and he didn't tell anybody. He like had about a year to live, and he, he died. And after that, Takto seems to just embrace life more fully. Like I really feel that because that was very that was when his mark started also appeared. Yeah, yes. he got that when he crashed that little pedal plane, and he well, he got the scar on his chest that was the same shape as the Tau mark, and that's when his grandfather said, "Okay, you got it. You're apparently crazy enough to have this." And I think that's I think his first phase is he got to be the hero. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I guess we didn't talk about is when you become a driver, you they have marks that are all based on the Phoenician alphabet, mm-hmm. um, and when you first get your side body. They all come with a power. The robots are called Psybodies. Yes, the mecha or the Psybodies. They all come with a power that can be used outside of the mecha. Some are really obvious, like controlling animals, or switching bodies with people, or summoning a weird little automaton that kills people for you. Some are way more vague and aren't even necessarily discussed in the show, or only speculated on. Yeah. Like, I actually think that it's the power of the Western Shrine Maiden to 
slightly alter reality on the contingent that she herself believes in how she's changed it. <laughs> For example, spoiler, there are no twins in the series. Uh, she was an only child to begin with. However, she came to believe that she had a twin sister. So she had a twin sister. <laughs> well, she came to believe that she needed a twin sister. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And so therefore, she got a twin sister. Yeah. Because she she needed a companion, she needed a friend, mm-hmm. someone who could be really close to her and never leave her side, and a twin sister apparently yeah. was best to fulfill that role. Poofed so. into existence, and she convinced herself she was there the whole time. Yeah, and oh man, the foreshadowing for they were secretly the same person. Going back and watching it after you know that fact is actually brilliant because there's tons of stuff they do to throw you off that scent, like having them sitting right next to each other, uh, having them sit right next to each other where there's all these people around them that are talking to them, but you have to pay very, like, close attention to notice that, like, uh, to, to pay close attention to notice that, like, Mizuno only swings the bat twice, and then they say strike off camera when she walks over to... Uh, Mariko, who goes up to bat, things like they're having they're they're talking to to each other in the dugout while everybody around them is looking only at at Marino, not Mizu, not Mizuno. Yeah, but they interact with both characters. Yeah, they do all the time. So that doesn't that doesn't really throw anyone off the scent because, as far as everyone else is concerned, they both exist too. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that is the thing, is that she seems to, like, well, she doesn't just seem to. It it appears as though she really does actually exist, which means that it would be Mizuno's power as the Western Shrine Maiden to make that happen. So, any more spoilers? Shall we wrap this podcast Um, up? Only just that um, the final battle is one of the best mecha battles in Rush's animation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the mecha are super. Um, we probably should have talked about this before this was, but the mecha designs are super. Like fabulous. I, they, uh. they are fabulous, but like they're super super stylized. Like they clearly had no intention to make these look like actual feasible robots. They didn't care about that. No, I mean oh. they're they're either magic or science that's so removed from what we understand they might as well be. Well I think it's very important because that allowed them to actually animate it using regular traditional Yeah. You know, now digital animation. There was yeah. there's not a lot of CGI in this show. Yes. No, some of the backgrounds and maybe the actual zero time world probably some of it is CG, but I'm But the actual robots themselves were mm-hmm. not CG and I think because they made them so not obviously super mechanical, mm-hmm. they could get away with it because a big issue, especially with robot animation, is to make the more realistic yeah. giant robots. Most of the people who can do that now work in video games. Yes. They don't work in anime. And so a lot of times they have to resort to CG because people who could draw that stuff, they can't um, hire anymore. I do not know for the fact, but it is heavily rumored that the the uh, people who are working on Super Robot Wars, the inspectors, which was airing at the same time, Star Driver and Inspe- the Inspectors were sharing and swapping staff a lot in the last couple episodes to punch each other's <laughs> stuff up a bit. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes. One more spoiler. One more very important spoiler. And something that I thought was kind of... I thought this was a little bit left field. It was something that was clearly planned from the very beginning. And so I loved how it got interwoven. And I was 
still surprised by it, I guess because it was going so off the wall in so many other directions, I didn't expect it to go off the wall in this direction, too. And that is aliens. We have to bleak out, or it, and in the end, it's all aliens. I'll be got the alien in the con, which is pretty much just she my girl. She the first several hours where she's involved, she can great odds hell. Because yes. she always stops and then she'll turn time, you know. And yes. that is a as best I can tell is the legitimate backstory of how the, what was going on before the side body somehow ended up on Earth. Yeah, that appears to be like because they repeat that story when the drama it, club. It's actually a different story, but it has a lot of the same elements. It's only slightly different. It has, uh, like, super a and lot And that has a few cut-ins showing the Psybodies occasionally doing things, like Samek crushing Eingott. Yeah. When the witch Ein betrays Columnar <laughs> in the play. Yeah. Uh, so, it's... You realize that that story, like, while you think that that story is a lot of, like, symbols and allusions yeah. to things, no, it's that story is more or less straightforward. <laughs> Although I love I loved the play episode uh, because it feels like a real play, up to including flub lines and wardrobe malfunctions. Yep. And uh, one of the members going completely off script at one point. Yes. Although that's the drama club president, who is, in fact, an alien, explaining yes. a point to Takto so he... That he apparently needs to hear. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. The head of the drama, the president of the drama club, and the vice president, who is like a little fox thing. Yes, are both actually aliens. Who? What are they doing? Are they monitoring As like if hu- how what humans? What they said in the play is completely accurate. They watch. Yeah, they're they're just monitoring what they're doing with the side they, bodies. They for I good mean, or for bad. They're just watching to see what happens. Yes. They are um, they I, are watching with hopes that we use it responsibly. I kind of got the I kind of got the idea I kind of got the idea back from when I was watching it that it was a little bit it, it's a little bit of that uh, that trope where like the you know the aliens have given humans a small bit of their technology to test humans. Only it wasn't really so much to test humans. As it was to just. Well, I'm. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. I took that it was actually they were not the people who made the side bodies. Yeah. Well, it, it felt it felt to me like they themselves, as an alien race, got a hold. Whether it was because they created created themselves, it was given to them by somebody, but they got a hold of some technology that they realized was actually really powerful and dangerous and. Too dangerous for for them, and so they planted it on Earth where all these monkeys were talking. Yeah, and decided to just watch and see what they did with it. Because I mean, they couldn't do it worse than they did it. So it almost felt like a little bit like the test was for the humans to fail and destroy the technology, just like the aliens planned. So Although I kind of I kind of felt it's kind of more like uh, the Watcher from Marvel Comics, and uh, also yeah. like the Watcher from Marvel Comics, they're. Supposed to just watch impartially, but I kind of feel like the drama club president, and even in his own way, the vice president, were actually trying to guide them towards a more a more happy ending. Yes, but they weren't allowed to directly interfere. <laughs> yeah, th- that's that's definitely that's definitely a possibility. But this does... is the closest thing to depths the show has. Yeah, this is the closest thing to the depths. <laughs> the one drama episode where they actually run a play where the most they discuss about it in previous episodes is who's going to kiss at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it does it does seem to be that uh whatever while it is clearly alien tech and 
they do mention that Tavern is actually the only mech that was made for, with the intention of a human piloting it. All the others were made for an aliens to pilot initially, and that's possibly even one of the reasons why uh, the Glittering Cross wears masks is to actually uh, is to actually facilitate being more like the aliens who were supposed to be piloting these things. Yeah, there's the big thing with the masks, but yeah. Uh, whereas Tavern is the only one that was supposed to be. The only one that was supposed by to be used a human. by a human, and uh, what that ha- any meaning that has, if any, is I don't who knows. It, but. Well, it's not really ever discussed. But one of the interesting things to note is that while all of these mechs that were supposed to be piloted by aliens uh, are in this other pocket universe, whenever Tabern shows up to fight, he breaks into their reality. Yeah, to be <laughs> fair, yeah, all the other psi bodies are like these giant kind of almost ball-jointed doll things sitting in a room somewhere, a cavern or... Can well, that, that's what the, they yeah. are in the physical world, that's, but... When locked away in the physical world, that's all they look like are just kind of weird giant statues. Mm-hmm. Talburn don't know where it lives when it's on zero time. It just appears. Yeah, it's not part... It's not one of the ones that's in in it the just, island, so... It just it, punches a hole through space and time. And it's like, yo, robot musketeer here to rock the house. And, oh, gosh. You know, the... The laser plume that comes out of Tauburn's head, like, I think that may be the best use of, like, laser decoration on a mech ever. Yes. I mean, it's probably just as effective as laser wings. <laughs> Again, I watched Gundam Wing as my first real mecha show, so maybe I'm just biased, but it seems like a perfectly viable use of lasers. <laughs> I like the plume. It's ridiculous and pointless, but it's great. Well, the whole design for most of the mechs seems to be completely ridiculous and pointless, and that's almost like it's the point of it. It's almost like the point of the show. Is that all of this is really ridiculous and pointless, and the ultimate real point is just look at who's being awesome. Because the rule of cool still applies. If somebody shows up and he, they do something super cool, it's going to beat the old thing that yes. was there. And so our main character then has to come up with something even cooler. It's just, it really, it just is meant to entertain. That's all it wants to do. It just wants to entertain you. It's not trying to teach you a deep lesson about the complexity of the relationship between a father and a son. It's about, Dad, you're an asshole, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> so, this is a really good popcorn anime. Yes. I think it's a little bit more than popcorn anime, but only because, um, again, I'm not going to try to argue that it has some deeper meaning. Again, me and Kevin just talked about the deeper meaning. That's The closest thing it has to a deeper meaning. <laughs> but uh, I- I'm still hesitant to call it popcorn anime because there's other anime that I watch that I think of those as popcorn anime. Like, the thing is, is that I think when I come back and watch Star Driver in... Like, we're talking about it now several years after it aired. Um, I'm going to probably watch it again in several years and be just as excited by it. It's going... I have a feeling this is an anime that is going to stand with sand some of, somewhat of a test of time. It's going to be an anime that when we're looking back at this era of anime that we're looking at... I whereas there's a lot of other anime that I really while I enjoyed watching I really don't feel that way about like I watched the anime uh 
problem children are coming from another world. That was a really fun anime to watch. I, I really enjoyed watching it, but I don't think I'm ever probably going to sit down and watch it again. I don't think I'm ever going to sit there and go, yeah. you know, I want to see that series again. I don't think anyone's going to bring up Rental Magica in a decade. Yeah, but you know... Uh, I think Vivid Red Operation might disappear into the midst of time. I, yeah, yeah, and you know how much I love that one. Yeah. I, I still don't think that disqualifies it by calling it popcorn anime. Yeah. Because there, there are other things that I still really enjoy that I would call popcorn anime or popcorn movies. But and that I just might be a, a, a different in what we classify as a popcorn yeah. anime like, between I, you and me. I feel there there is... Some anime is disposable entertainment... Yeah. And I think those other shows qualify for that. Uh-huh. Like, you know, I wouldn't... I would not also not refer to Star Driver as disposable. Yes. I think this is something that one can watch again, you know, after some time. Mm-hmm. But... Like, again, doing I, a second I, viewing of it, it was actually really great to watch it. You know, for example, I would also, you know, describe something like Pacific Rim... Mm-hmm. As very much a popcorn movie. Oh, okay. Like where you know, I mean, there's not, there's just enough. It's yeah. a, it's another thing where it's there's just enough to sink your teeth into. Mm-hmm. But you don't, but you don't, but you can't chew too much. Yeah, you're gonna watch it. You're gonna have a lot of fun. You're gonna be like, mm, robots, mm, fabulousness, mm, fabulous robots. Like or you know other things like the world's. It, well, no, that's got a little more into it. But no, I think Star Driver. You know, it is something that you, you, you watch and you enjoy, but you don't think about it too much, but you're too busy enjoying it to really want to think about too much. Yeah. Um, so, we're going to take another audio break now. I'll come back with our awesomes out of awesome. Like we said uh, previously, you can get a watch it on Crunchyroll even now, and Crunchyroll is very affordable. It's on tons of devices, going to be on more devices. Um, you can buy it on DVD for pretty cheap, and Blu-ray for not so cheap anymore. So yeah. maybe we'll get yeah. lucky. Maybe Funimation or Sentai will pick it up if we're if we are lucky, and maybe they'll get it. But if not, you can get the Blu-rays. For between sixty and fifty bucks, depending on which season. I'd you get. watch it on Crunchyroll and make sure you really love it as much as I do. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm going to start off this week, and I'm going to give it one really straightforward out of awesome. I'm going to give it Galactic Awesomes out of awesome. I would give it a Gilbush of awesome. All right, well, we, we, we can't do that without doing the full thing, so... All right, try that again, Kevin. Get a bush! Get, Get a bush! And with that horribly loud thing that probably totally broke our mic for a moment there, this has been the Awesome Cast. Thank you for listening. We are out. Me, I get-